Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. You'll be Whatever you're good with, use that for the Lord. He will give you opportunities to exercise that gift now that you're thinking about whatever it is. There's some people that are good at certain things, and they have contributed their gifts to this church, and I'm thankful for that. Or use it out there, promoting the gospel to other people. Remember, we have a mission we're trying to finish, and how nice it is that the Lord allows us to use the things we're good at to spread the gospel. You know, most people, when they think of spreading the gospel, I'm not very good at that kind of thing. First off, I want you to recognize Spreading the gospel is not a gift, it's a command. How you spread it, that is your gift. Use your gift to obey the command. Peter said, be serious. Less than 8% of all Christians have ever shared the gospel one time in their entire life, and less than 1% do it regularly, sharing the gospel on a regular basis. We need to be in the one percenters. We need to have a little 1% club patch on our jackets. This is, I'm a one percenter. I share regular. We need to share regularly. Well, I don't know how to do that. Well, you know how to do what you're good at. Use that. Be a steward of the grace. 1 Peter 4 and 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This verse is incredible. Peter divided Christian service into two different categories. He said one who speaks and one who ministers. Ministering means serve. So he said speaking and serve. So you've got two different roles. You've got uh, speaking roles and serving roles. Not everybody is good at speaking. I know a lot of people, if you ask them to get up here and do public speaking, they can't do it. They just trip out like I sometimes still am. What happens is if you can't speak, you can certainly serve. Now, there's a story in the Bible where the believers, they weren't quite operating in harmony like they should have been, and they recognized a problem. And so they recognized these two categories. There were speaking categories and ministering, serving categories. So they reorganized the structure to make it work better. I want to show you how that worked out in Acts 6 and 2. It says, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, so that's an example of how the gifts of speaking or serving could be better managed to have greater effectiveness in kingdom work. They realize we got a problem here. We need to fix something. We're good at talking and studying the Word of God. We're good at the speaking. Y'all are good at serving. Why don't y'all do that? We'll do this. And everything clicked a whole lot better. So Peter told us that whichever it is that God has enabled, 
you with, use it. If you have a particular gifting that you think you could use here in this church, come tell me about it. Maybe we can find you a place to utilize that gift here in the church. And I'm so glad for this passage of Peter telling people to use their gifts because all too often I've had people come to me telling me that, Ray, I'm not good enough. That's the number one thing people always say is, I'm not good enough. I want you to know when I first became a pastor, that's everything I was thinking. I'm not good enough. Then when the Lord called me, get on the radio. I'm not good enough. I don't sound like those guys on the radio. I don't sound like no Chuck Swindoll or no Adrian Rogers. I sound like Redneck Ray. How am I supposed to? I stumble through all the Hebrew words. I can't say them. I can't do that guttural thing that the Hebrews do. I can't do it. God says, you don't need to sound like them. You need to sound like you. People always say, I don't, I'm not good enough. But when I ask what they could give to help out, they respond, oh, you know, not me. Uh, I, I, I can't help. You're the pastor. You do it. They say, you should be doing that. I said, no, that's not how that works. There is not one pastor in any church on earth that can do it all. Everyone is to pitch in with their gifts. And Peter said, if it's in speaking, he said, if you're good at talking, then speak it, brother. He said, speak like you're the oracles of God. (laughs) If you're good at talking, then talk. If it's in ministering, serving, he says, then do it with the ability that God supplies. Well, I can't do it like everybody else. Well, maybe God supplied them a little differently than you. Don't compare yourself to other people. You do it to how God supplied you. I'm telling you, God supplies some people small and some people large, depending on how the Lord wants to go. Don't look at somebody doing better and go, well, I can't. I'm not good enough. He said, according to the ability that God supplies, you can serve with that. So whether you think you can do little, that's okay. We're not going to hold it against you because we realize maybe God has not supplied you much yet in that area. We'll get you there. We'll develop that. But he said to do it with what God supplies so that the pastor can be happy and people can clap and cheer for you. That's not what it says. It says so that we can see God glorified through Jesus Christ. That's the point. It's not about you. It's not what people are going to think of you. Doesn't matter. Is God being glorified in that? If God is glorified, let it fly, man. Do you want to see God glorified through Jesus Christ? I do. So then let's be serious and let's use whatever God has given us. If it's speaking or if it's serving, whatever it is, let's use it. I want you to think about that today and through the week. What am I good at? What can I use? Hey, you know what? Maybe the church could use this. Come talk to me. Let's talk. 1 Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Notice that trials are to try you, try you like gold is tried to make it pure. Now, one of the reasons why we have to be armed with the mind of Christ, as Peter said, is because persecution is going to happen. Jesus even said so in Matthew 10. He said persecution will come. He did not say it might come. So Peter warned us that when it does come, we're not supposed to be surprised about it as though something unexpected hit us. We're supposed to expect persecution's coming. It's coming. And that's not a threat. It's nothing to be scared of. 
This is designed to get you into the mind of Christ. I better get serious and start thinking the way Jesus did because persecution's coming. I need to be ready. Now, we're actually supposed to be glad of persecution when it shows up. First off, when we rejoice in trial, that's going to confuse the unbeliever. They're not going to understand it one bit, but it's going to cause the unbeliever to ask, why? Why are we happy when this is happening to us? One of the most happy people I've ever seen was a friend of mine that got cancer, and he said, praise God for cancer. And I thought, what in the world? Please explain this to me. He said, praise God for my cancer, because if it wasn't for cancer hit me, I doubt I would have woke up to the Lord. But now I know I'm saved. And I just, I couldn't believe what he told me. I thought, man, this guy has something to offer me if I'll just think about it. We're supposed to rejoice in trial. If we're in Christ and we expect to share in his blessings, then we're also going to have to share in his sufferings too. You know, people say, I want to be like Jesus. They want to be like Jesus and have all the blessing. They somehow seem to have forgotten about that part about the cross. We're going to suffer in his sufferings with him. When we put ourselves in Jesus Christ, our fellowship with him should be so close that we actually participate in the same sufferings that Jesus had to go through when he was here on earth. When you read about the trouble that Jesus had to go through during his 33 years on earth and realize that the same hatred that they had for him is the same hatred they're going to have for us, we're going to have to go through it too. Understand that you cannot be into Jesus only for the blessing. It comes with suffering too. Philippians 3 and 10 says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Guys, by suffering trials that Jesus went through like he did, it's going to help us better understand who Jesus is. It's going to help us to identify with him more. So if we can learn to rejoice in our trials, then that's when we're going to look more like Jesus to the unbeliever because their natural reaction to suffering is to get all upset about it. So when unbelievers get upset over trial and we don't, they say, what is different about you? I want it. That's when you get to show them the Lord. When we look different, they're going to see Jesus in us a lot more clearly. You know, there's a lot of people, they will not listen to you when you get that Bible in front of them and you talk about the Word of God. They won't hear you because they're automatically pre-programmed. Oh, he's got a Bible out. I'm shutting down. But when you face persecution and everybody's in trouble and everybody's all miserable and moping around except you, now they'll listen to you. That's why we need to be armed with the mind of Christ. But the main reason we can rejoice in suffering is because of the hope we have in heaven, where in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be even compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's great. (laughs) Sufferings can come in a lot of different forms. Some are brought on by people intentionally. Some are just circumstantial. You just find yourself in a bad situation. You can't fault anybody for it. It's just the way things are. Well, typically, when people suffer situations that they can do nothing about, they end up saying, well, it is what it is. And they do the best they can with it. So that's why Peter says next in 1 Peter 4.14, he said, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Okay, sometimes you're in a situation you can't put put it on anybody. I can't look at somebody and say, you caused this. 
But sometimes you're put in a suffering situation where somebody threw it on you. They insulted you. Somebody insulted you for following Jesus. Now you're in this hardship because of a certain individual. The first thing we want to do is retaliate. It's not the, well, it is what it is. It's not like, no, that guy started it. I'm going to get him. If somebody insults you or makes life miserable because you follow Jesus, instead of getting mad or upset about it, you should consider yourself blessed. That's hard to do. I don't want to do that. I want to be mad. I want to stomp my feet and show everybody how scary I am so they'll leave me alone. He says, you're blessed, so be happy. I know it sounds weird, but think of it this way. If people can see Jesus in you clearly enough to insult you for it, then be glad you're representing Jesus well enough that they can see it. (laughs) I've had people insult me a lot. I'm like, thank God they see it. If people stopped insulting me about Jesus, I'd be thinking I'm not doing something right. I've had people tell me, well, I'm a Christian and I'm never persecuted. If you treat people right, Ray, you'll never be persecuted. Um, excuse me? That doesn't sound right at all. Second Timothy 3.12 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You cannot be a Christian and say, well, I never suffer persecution. Well, I'm scared you don't look like a Christian then. If you're not being persecuted, it's not because you're treating people well. It's because you're not living godly in Christ. You might call yourself a Christian, but you're not living it. Once you live it and people see that, oh, they're going to persecute you for it. It's coming. You will suffer that. Those that pride themselves, I'm just so loving. Nobody persecutes me. You got it all wrong talking like you're a better Christian than everybody else, if you were a real Christian, you would live it and you would suffer persecution for it. So remember Peter saying that if when they do insult you for Jesus' name, consider yourself blessed that they can see it in you. I want people to see Jesus in me, but I don't want persecution. Uh Uh-uh, sorry, it comes with the territory. They hated him, they're going to hate you because of him. If they hate you on account of him, then praise God they're finally seeing it. I think there's a lot of mellow Christians out there that are never being persecuted because they're just not living for the Lord. 1 Peter 4 and 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. We're going to suffer, but there's two ways you can suffer. The warning is here that none of us should suffer for committing acts of evil. That should not be the way to suffer. When somebody insults you, you are not to retaliate with physical violence. And I see a lot of that today. That's what most of the wars on earth are all about. No matter what the trial is that you're going through, real believers are not to try to pay anyone back for any insult that they get. And oftentimes I see people try to justify the reasons on why it's okay to hurt somebody back. They did this, so I have the right to, I'm justified to go kill them. Or, you know, guys, if you kill somebody, that would cause you to suffer as a murderer, like Peter said. If somebody steals from you, don't become a thief back to steal back from them, or else you're going to suffer as a thief, as Peter said. Don't be an evildoer. And what Peter said there when he said, or as a busybody. What is a busybody? That's somebody that goes around talking bad about people. And just because somebody can hurt you, that gives you no right or no justification to go talking bad about them 
No right to go meddle around in people's affairs because that is way out of place for Christians to be doing. That's not what we do. 1 Peter 4 and 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, see this? Okay, here's the way you want to suffer. This is the good way to go. There's ways to suffer wrong. He gave us a little list, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Friends, there is no shame in suffering for Jesus Christ. I remember in junior high, I was picked on for talking about Jesus, okay, what little bit I knew at the time. And this guy come up to me. He was a bully. He got all his big bully friends up around me, and they started kind of pushing me and another friend of mine around. He goes, you one of them holy rollers, you Bible thumper. I've been called that. Are you a Jesus freak? And they all got around our desk. They're trying to taunt us so that we would stand up out of our chair and push back. Today, people insult Christians because we are now seen as the intolerant bad guy. And that still happens. They bully us and they feel like they outnumber us. Well, they don't. There's no shame in serving the Lord. They do not outnumber us. We outnumber them, if you consider the heavenly host that's here to defend us. You know, there's a story about that in the Bible, too. Don't let them cause you to feel ashamed, but I want you to glorify God in this manner. So the next time somebody says, you one of them holy rollers? Say, yep. You a Bible thumper? Uh, yes, I am. And I'm glad to do it. First Peter 4 and 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the unbelievers that don't serve the Lord. I read that wrong on purpose just to show you what most people think does not say that. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Where are you sitting right now? You are sitting in a church in the house of God. Here we are. Judgment starts right here. Now, don't get up and run out of the church thinking you're going to get away from it. It's coming one way or another. Judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Interesting how verse 17 talks about house of God and those who do not obey the gospel. Okay, I want you to see that there's a definitive difference in the two. There's the house of God, which we're in. We're in church. You don't have to go to church to be saved, people say. Well, we're in the house of God. Then there's those that don't obey the gospel. You're one or you're the other. Which one is it? I try to get people into the church so they can be built up and educated and, and understand the fellowship because as a believer, you're going to naturally or supernaturally gravitate to the body of Christ. But if you're not, you're disobeying the gospel. Well, I can be saved and not be in the body of Christ. Well, I'm sorry. It says house of God and those who don't obey the gospel of God, two different kinds of people. But I want you to be careful about pointing at people, hoping they get what they deserve. When we think about bad people doing bad things and we, oh, I can't wait for them to get what they got coming. Be careful with that. Be careful. Judgment does not start with them. Judgment starts with us. It doesn't start with them. It begins here. Trials refine us. It's like with gold. Gold is heated up with fire to get the impurities to float to the top so the impurities can be skimmed off and it leaves only the pure gold behind. Trial is going to refine you. It's going to cause you to do things that come out of you you didn't know were there. 
You ever walk along and you stub your foot on something, it hurts, and a little word comes out, and you're like, where did that come from? That was down in there somewhere. Well, you went through a little trial to purge something out, so you go, oh, God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Well, now you're a little purer than you were, right? (laughs) That's what trials do. Trial will refine you if you respond to it in God's will. And so God deliberately uses trials on us to purify us so that the unbelievers out there can see what Jesus looks like. That's why it starts with us first. We have to be purified first so the unbeliever can say, now I've got a clear view of what Ray's all about. Now I see Jesus in him. Guys, I had to get purified for years before people would finally look at me and go, I want Jesus too. So do you think judgment starting at the house of God is fair or not? I think it's very fair. If you want your effectiveness in in spreading the gospel really to, to spike and work well, judgment has to start with us because otherwise people are never going to listen to us if we don't look purified and refined first. So this judgment has to begin with us. We have to be refined to purity so that the insulting, the accusing unbeliever will finally come to desire what we have. 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, not to evil, I want you all to understand this, those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Friends, you're going to suffer one way or the other. What are you going to suffer for? Are you going to suffer for evil and getting back at everybody and talking bad about people and being all in their business and pushing everybody that pushes you first, stealing from people that stole from you first? Well, it's only right, and I've got it justified in my mind why it's okay for me to do it. No, it's not. You're going to be a believer in Jesus. You need to look purified. Trial has to start with us first to to purify us so they can see a purified soul living for Christ. Now, Neil Armstrong, he had to endure a lot of trial, a lot of pressure during his training to go to the moon. When he was released from quarantine to go back home, Armstrong said, I'm just glad we were able to finish the mission. He wasn't hung up. Oh, NASA gave me a bunch of shots. And he didn't say, well, they were always sticking things in my eye and putting sticks in my mouth and it was uncomfortable. And I had to sit in this rocket ship for a week. And he didn't say that. He says, I'm just glad we finished the mission. That's what he concentrated on. He says, I'm just glad we finished the mission. You see, all the discipline and all the trial was not the focal point. It was finishing the mission. John 1928, Jesus said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Friends, all the sufferings that Jesus went through, that was not the focal point. The mission was to save us from our sin. That's what he was concentrated on. So friends, likewise, yes, we're going through trial. Yes, it hurts. But that's not your focal point, and it shouldn't be. Rejoice through that, knowing what we've got going ahead of us. We're being refined so that unbelievers will look at us. And when we tell them the gospel, they'll say, you know what? I actually believe you by looking at you because what you're going through, how else could you do this if it was not for your Lord? Friends, we need to finish the mission, the mission that Jesus gave us. And the only way to do it is to have a mind like Christ. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.